going to tell you a story about my mother, and it has to do with the word that she used to use. I'm going to say the word only once, since it's now considered a hateful, hurtful, and cruel word. But this was back in the 60s, and people my parents' age used this word without meaning any harm at all. But to be clear, it's now a racist word. I do want to say that my mother genuinely loved all people and that she was a true Christian. Her name was Annette Claire Dubois. She had a rough upbringing. She spent many years in a Catholic boarding school run by sisters that was essentially a home for unwanted children. As a parent to me, she didn't have the same empathetic, inclusive presence that my father had, but she was a deeply good person. Getting back to this word, there's actually a funny story to it. It's a sort of apocryphal story, one that you hear people telling and you wonder if it could really be true. But the honest truth is that with my mother and me, the story is very real. Here's the tale. When I was beginning second grade, we moved from Northern California to Southern California to the town where I would eventually grow up, in Oxnard, in Ventura County, north of LA. The city that we'd been living in, in Northern California, was solidly middle class and most everyone was white. But Oxnard is very much a city with an ethnically mixed population. It was a fantastic place to grow up. I was one of those kids who got on his bike early Saturday morning and came home just before dark. My friends and I owned the town. We were safe, happy, and in a community that looked after kids. The first day of second grade that morning, my mother put me on a public bus to school. She told me that there was something she had to tell me. Now I'm going to use the word only once. She said that unlike my school back in Northern California, the Catholic school in Oxnard would have colored kids in it. She told me to remember that these kids were no different than anyone else. They looked different, but they were just like me. I said, okay, I'll remember that. Well, when I got home from school, she asked me how my first day went. I told her that it was fine, that the teachers were all nice, the sisters who taught us, and the kids were nice. But there weren't any of those kids that she said would be there. Not a single one. Okay, you've probably guessed it. Given what my mother had said, I was expecting orange or green kids maybe striped ones. I'm completely serious. I was disappointed when all the kids I met seemed like regular kids to me. I'll get back to this story. I have a bit more to add to it. I'd like to look at a handful of Bible passages. The first three have a common theme, and the last two have a different but common theme. Let's start with Proverbs. I happen to love them. 
They were written by a special class of Israelite intellectuals called sages. They're attributed to King Solomon, and it's not known if he actually wrote any of them. Perhaps he was just the one who ordered them to be collected into the book we have today. Proverb 29.13 says this, The poor man and the oppressor meet together. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. It's pretty obvious what it means. It shows that thousands of years ago, our spiritual ancestors knew something that the world is still struggling to accept. All people are created equal in God's eyes, and those who have wealth and power do not hold any higher position than the person considered the least significant by society. The next passage comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians, and it is believed that he did indeed write this letter himself, that it wasn't written by some pseudo-Paul who attributed it to the real Paul. It's an eloquent letter. It tells us that what matters is our faith in God, not that we try to follow a bunch of complicated religious laws. And once we have faith, we're all equal believers in the eyes of Christ. Consider this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, the meaning is obvious. Remember that Jews had a good reason to not like the Greeks and the Romans. Both peoples oppressed them and made them political and economic slaves. But Paul's saying that a Jew who believes in Christ and a Greek who believes in Christ are equal as faithful people. This quote comes from a chapter where Paul talks about the freedom of being a Christian. We're not held under the burden of a system of laws. We live under the new covenant. All we need to do is accept Christ and live the way Christ lived. And to live that way requires that we accept all people as equal. Now let's look at something from 1 John. This is a very compelling, moving book. It's more of a sermon than a letter. The essential message is that we need to accept the teachings of Jesus if we want to claim to be living in a godly way. The book has traditionally been attributed to the Apostle John, but as early as 200 AD, the Christian scholar Origen of Alexandria, Egypt, thought that it was written by some other church leader who happened to be named John. We really don't know who wrote it. In the part of the letter that I want to look at, John is telling us how to walk in the light of God. Consider this. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. 
Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Blindness is, of course, as a physical attribute used often in the Bible as a metaphor for spiritual blindness. This passage says that if you walk in the light, but you hate others who you perceive as not being like you, then guess what? You're walking in the darkness. Now let's look at Colossians. The letter to the Colossians was written to the Christians in a city called Colossae in what's now Turkey. In biblical times, it was a prosperous city with a textile and wool dyeing industry. The church there was probably founded by a follower of Paul. Although Paul is the stated author of the letter, many scholars question this as it contains a vocabulary not found in his other letters, and the letter doesn't focus on Paul's favorite topics of righteousness and justification by faith alone. So it's likely that the letter was attributed to Paul, perhaps as a way of honoring him, or perhaps just to give the letter more weight. One purpose of the letter is to argue the divinity and saving powers of Jesus Christ. Another is to teach us how to live in the world as faithful people and in a way that honors God. In chapter 3 of the book, we're told how to put away the old way of living before we gain true faith and how to become a new person in Christ. In particular, we're told that we must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. This is a bit of a different focus than the first three quotes I used. This one tells us to watch what we say, that words can do harm. It says that using obscene or hurtful language can cause great damage to humanity. I'd like to look at a final quote. One that has a similar theme to the quote from Colossians. It's from the letter to the Ephesians, and many scholars do not believe that Paul wrote it personally. Their best guess is that the letter was written after Paul's death by a student or a follower of his. The main focus of Ephesians is to battle alternative forms of Christianity, like what today we would call Gnosticism. The possibly pseudo-Paul is trying to build up the Christian church as a whole in this letter, rather than correct or redirect specific people. And it was particularly meant for Gentiles to read, not Jews who are following the beliefs of Jesus. Here's something from chapter 4 where the author is telling us how our faith serves to transform us into people who are truly living lives that emulate the life of Christ. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, 
as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. In other words, an important aspect of living like Jesus is to do what Jesus did, and that is to work to build people up, not cut them down. Importantly, we must remember that we are filled with God's grace, and to pass that grace on to others, we need to be careful what we say. You don't hand off grace with hateful language. In sum, there's nothing in any of these quotes that we would not expect from a truly kind and empathetic teacher who might be alive today. But we see that in ancient times, some people knew that we're all the same. God did something very deliberate by sending Jesus here as a poor man from an oppressed class of people. God made sure that we saw in the lowest of society those who should be the highest in our eyes. God was crafty. Jesus came here as the son of a poor builder, the friend of an uneducated fisherman, the outcast of his society. Then Jesus went out of his way over and over to treat as equals children who were considered lowly in his society as well as the hated Samaritans and those who had gotten into legal trouble and even those with leprosy, the disease that marked a person as untouchable. Jesus himself touched a leper. Jesus was ahead of his time in calling for society to stop being bigoted against the poor, against people who are considered outsiders, against anyone who's somehow different. What's intriguing is how much of the content of the Bible, both Old and New Testament, is completely relevant today. I want to repeat this. When it comes to human rights, Jesus knew it all. Society faces the same challenges that it faced at the beginning of recorded time. One of them was to treat all people equal in the eyes of God and to always use our words in an uplifting, affirming, and empathetic fashion. We know this. My mother knew it. Jesus knew it. But back to the story of my mother and those purple and spotted kids that my mother warned me would be at school. She was only trying to make sure that I knew that these other kids were no different than me. She was using an old dying term one that we certainly don't use today because it is racist. But when I told her that there were no such kids in school, that I hadn't seen a single one, she was surprised. Then I asked her just what colors these kids were supposed to be. It was at that point that I saw a light go on in her eyes. She smiled and she shook her head. She told me in her elegant, very French way, that I should forget all about it. Kids can look a little different from each other. That was all she was trying to tell me, she said. You get the idea, Buzzy. I'm sure you do. I don't remember what I said to that, but I probably shrugged and asked for my after-school snack. <laughs>